or I'm going to, I'm going to do part two of the calling. How many have ever, I mean, you, you know, it's such a, a crazy subject because it, it's one of those, it's like a pillar. It's like one of those pinnacle, you know, like, Oh, what are you called? I received my calling today to ministry. And it's like, we have exalted this, this understanding of call. Like I, I'm called to the mission field. And I want to talk about that. What does that mean? Because I think the way we define it, the way we experience it, the way that we've been taught it is sometimes, uh, is sometimes more about the culture than really about what the calling actually is. And I want to explain what that means because I think, you know, uh, when I say like the call, like I don't know what I'm called to do. And what does it mean to be called by God? Last week or the week before, we, uh, we, we defined for you a little bit that it, you have to understand your first calling is to know God. Like that is your call. That's your destiny. You don't have to struggle with this concept. Like what is this glorious thing that I'm called to do? Like we want to, you know, you know, everyone knows the show, let's make a deal. Well, some of you do. It's not around anymore, but you know, there's this thing where we get saved and then we want to know what's behind the other door. We want to like, what, all right, what is this thing you've called me to do, Lord? But we don't realize that the one thing that we're all called to do is know him. The one thing that we're all called to do is to have a relationship with Him. And out of that comes this understanding. It's, it's almost like uh, you're in a dark room and knowing Him just brings this light. And then you understand what's around you. Then you understand where the door is and where, where opportunity is and, and all the different things that God has in front of you that you can, from your heart, out of a, the new nature, desire good things and dream things with God. See, your calling is not just this tightrope of God's will for your life. Like, okay, I just have to make sure I stay, you know, in the, in the will of God. God's will is for you to make good choices like any good father is for his kids. God's will isn't, isn't like this, uh, this plan of control. And he just wants you to, and if you screw it up, it's over, man. I mean, God doesn't, he's not like that. We're in a new covenant. We have, we have new hearts and new spirits within us. As born-again believers, the Bible says we partake of His divine nature. He actually puts His nature in our hearts at the core of our being. And so one of the, the messages, actually two more of the messages as we continue this series, I'm going to give you seven things that will help you discover what you're called to do. Like very simple, practical methods. See, we always, we always dream up this thing like, well, I'm called, you know, well, I'm not really called by God. You're all called by God. And the ones that are chosen are the ones that say yes. But you have to understand that your call is not this, you know, this thing behind door number two that you're going to trade in everything else for. Your call is to know God. Your call is to have a relationship with Him. And this morning, I want to recap a little bit. Last week, we talked about, everyone knows the scripture in Hosea 4, 6. That it says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. How many have ever heard that verse? And then, you know, we, we try to memorize all the scripture we can, and then we're still perishing. Or we, we read all the books we can, and we're still having issues. Because it's not knowledge, it's the knowledge of God. And in the context of Hosea 4, that's what he's talking about. And he's saying that you can't discern, you don't know good from evil, but he said that there's no knowledge of God in the land. So Hosea 4, 6 is a... a one of those verses that many times are taken out of context and sometimes we've exalted knowledge over the actual encounter we have with God 
that brings the Word of God, the Scripture, alive to us. Because we love memorizing Scripture until we have to live it. Then we think it's a bad translation. Right? Like, well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, hallelujah. And we memorize the Scripture. We put our preacher voice on and everything, right? You guys write it on cards and you put it on your mirror. Everyone does that, right? And you wake up in the morning and you make a declaration which there's power in. But then when you got to live the verse, then you're thinking, well, maybe that's a bad translation. Uh Maybe it means something else in the Greek. I need to study to show myself approved. See, it's the encounter that we have with God because truth isn't just a book. This is not the fourth member of the Godhead. This is what helps lead us to understanding the Godhead and who God is. Truth is capital T. Just remember that. John 14, 6. Everyone knows the verse. We quote it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by means of me. Jesus is truth. You see, a lot of times we're still partaking of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil instead of the tree of life, which is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm truth, I'm life. And so when we come to the Word of God, understanding that we are falling deeper in love, we're falling deeper in relationship with a person. See, the Bible isn't, isn't a, this whole thing is not a contract. We look at salvation, we look at our Christianity, we look at the promise of God in a contractual form. Well, now that I'm saved, now I have to live up to these standards and morals. No, you, you just have to have a relationship with God and you have to love Him. And you live out of that new nature and, and you, you live uh, in, in an abundance of, of ability to walk in freedom and obedience to Him. It's so powerful to me if we just, if we just get the right paradigm it's not a contract. It's not like, how can, I, how can I live up to these standards? You know, the call of God and all these principles. And, you know, we, it's like a contract is always thinking about, you know, uh, the, the agreement. A covenant is thinking about trust in the person who wrote the agreement. There's a huge difference. And so when I'm, when I'm talking about the call, I, I want us to not think about What's behind door number one or door number two? I want us to think about the person that put what's behind number door number two there. Does that make sense? Like it should always lead us when we study the Word of God, which we should be diligent students of the Word. We're starting our school of theology and supernatural living. And we did one phase and we selected community leaders. And now we're doing our second phase. We're opening up to anyone that wants to go to school, anyone that wants to be taught the Word of God, to rethink and what we understand as maybe, you know, some classic theology, read and say, what is a biblical understanding of the new covenant? What is a biblical understanding of what does it mean to live supernaturally? And so we're going to go deep into theology. We're also going to teach you how to live supernaturally because how many know that our Bible teaching should not just lead us to knowledge, it should lead us to right living. It's orthodoxis, orthodoxy and orthopraxis. And so right belief should always lead to right living. And so we're going to be uh, diving deep into that. And we, we want you to get this, church, that it is so important that we study the Word of God. But if we're studying it from a place of, man, i got to measure up to this contract I have with God if I don't read my Bible enough, or if, if we're trying to get more knowledge that's not going to bring you into an encounter with God, 
If it's not going to bring you to a greater understanding of His love for you, you may be eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, society does it. Like, we want someone to motivate us. But really, what the call is, is the call to know Him. Luke chapter 24 is this story. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the story of the two guys. How many know the story of the road to Emmaus? Jesus is resurrected. He's walking on the road with these two guys, and they don't recognize Him. The Bible says their eyes were restrained. And so they're walking on this road and, and they're, they're spewing all their knowledge about Jesus, about the Messiah, and about the Scriptures, and the prophetic Scriptures. And they're discussing their eschatology views, right? I mean, they're like the pre-trib rapture. They're probably not saying that, but they're discussing all of their views about the end times. And, and Jesus, it says that their eyes were open when they sat at the table and broke bread with Him. So powerful. And then later on they said, did not our hearts burn within us? A couple weeks ago we talked about how, how you see things is determined by what's going on in your heart. So in other words, if you want spiritual vision to see what God has called you to do, you've got to let Him do stuff in your heart. See, if you want eyes to see, then you need His heart. If you want to see like Him, you need the heart of the Father. And so this powerful revelation in Luke chapter 24 that Jesus was revealed to them when they heard the call to intimacy and they sat at the table with Him and they broke bread. Even the simple understanding that I can encounter the presence of God sitting at the table with my family. That as a family that we come to the table of the Lord and we partake of the Lord's Supper, but we understand that it, it's, it's an engagement with Him and us that we are the church, and it's one of the institutions of the church that we get to meet with God and we partake of the bread of His presence. He's the bread of life. We partake of Jesus Himself. We partake of a person. Not an understanding of a person. Not just knowledge itself. And so, there's a connection between our heart and our vision. Last uh, Two weeks ago, again, I keep saying last week, Matthew chapter 5. Th- this is a great understanding. We, we always quote the verse, like if a man looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he, you know, he's committing adultery in his heart. How many have that understanding? We read that scripture. But Jesus wasn't saying that when he does it, he's actually committing adultery right then. It's not just that. He's saying that it's already in the individual's heart. So you have to understand that whatever's inside you, whatever you're dealing with, it's, gonna, it's going to... Uh, uh, affect the way you perceive things, the way that you see things. It's even in the simple things like, you know, if you're looking for a particular car, that's all you're going to see. How many know what I'm talking about? Like if you're looking for a Honda Odyssey, man, there's a lot of Honda Odysseys in Henderson. It's only because you're looking for it. If you have offense or bitterness or hurts in your heart, you're going to find it wherever you go. Actually, you'll be in conversations with people and they can give you 7,000 words of encouragement and you'll only hear the one word of rebuke. You'll only hear that and you won't be encouraged, but you'll be offended and think, (laughs) it's because there's stuff going on in your heart. And so we have to understand the connection with our call that in order for us to have spiritual vision, we have to have a burning and an awakening in our hearts. We have to have, it is a call to intimacy. See, the call to intimacy is your call, is your first call. Amen. Your call to know God is your first call. And primary call. I love uh, this portion of the Old Testament. Uh, there's only one portion I love. No, I'm just kidding. 
Ezekiel 44, um, where God is, is saying, hey, guys, you've got off track and, and you forgot what your priority is. And he says, I want you to know that I want to restore what your priority is. I'm paraphrasing. And he says that your priority is ministering to me in the inner, in the most holy place. You know, God is not this egotistical individual that wants everyone to bow to him just because he's God. Like, I'm God, you know, bow now. Jesus didn't say that the Father's looking for worship in John chapter 4. He said he's looking for worshipers. Huge difference. He's looking for you to come near to him. He's looking for your heart, as James chapter 4 says, draw near from your heart. And so there's this understanding in Ezekiel 44, God's trying to restore the priority. He says the priority is about knowing me, having fellowship with me. When he created us, it was about a garden where he could come and he could just hang out with man. That's what we've been redeemed to, saints. That is our call. And to understand what I was created to do in this life, because the calling of God, when we take it another step further, and we're going to take a couple weeks and talk about how do I know what I'm called to do? The call is what what I was born to do. To, To understand that, you have to first understand the person of Jesus and that everything comes out of that encounter you have with God. Uh, We read Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's prayer to the church of Ephesus, which I'd like to read again in in another translation. I want you to turn quickly, though, to John chapter 3. I want to unpack some, some of this to you. This understanding that what happens on the inside affects the way we see things. I'm going to read you a familiar passage in John chapter 3, but I want, to, uh, I want to shed some light on the subject that we're talking about in this, some of these verses that, that we can, some of us can probably quote. First of all, the call is a call to an encounter with God. If you're taking notes, write that down. As a matter of fact, in, in Isaiah 45, when when God says, Jacob, I have called you by your name. First of all, I want you to know something. It's personal. God, he, he actually knows everything that you are inside and out. He has every hair counted on your head. You know, praise the Lord. Some of, that's, some of us, it's real easy to do for him. He's like one. But he knows every intro, every area of our life. I mean, God, and he's concerned. Jesus is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He knows, and as a matter of fact, he wants to know the desires of your heart. The Bible says, let your requests be made known to God. So he's called you by your name. Now, it's interesting. We're going to talk about in a minute. Why, why is he called us by our name? Because there's an identity that happens when we come into an encounter with God. But I want you to understand something that the word call in Hebrew in Isaiah 45 and all throughout the Old Testament is the word kara. You want to learn Hebrew? You ready? The word call is kara. Say it. Kara. This is an identical Hebrew word to another Hebrew word, which is really the same Hebrew word. It means to encounter, which is kara, spelt exactly the same way. 
So in other words, they're interchangeable. So when God calls you, when He speaks to you, when His voice is made known to you, and, and that doesn't happen in, in an audible sense always. Some, most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's this pulling on the insides, like, i got to get to church. Or, man, there's something about this individual, and God uses this individual. Or there's an encounter that you have with God, but He first calls you by name. He first calls you. There's a sound. There's something that happens that does an inner working in your heart where you begin to see like, that's where I'm supposed to go in life. The call is always going to lead you into encountering God, into relationship with God. If, if our Bible reading and our, and our church focus doesn't lead us into deeper relationship with God, with people, and with reaching people, then something is missing. So when you're called by name, not only are you called to encounter, kara, it literally means to encounter. Isn't that powerful? The word call means encounter because he calls you into an encounter. There's no calling without an encounter. It's almost like when God created the worlds and he, the first time you see the word kara is in Genesis 1 and he calls things into existence and he separates the light and the day and, or the day and the night. And, and so there's this understanding that when God speaks, it demands a response. Jesus says the time's coming when the voice of the Son of God will speak and the dead will be raised. When Jesus speaks to you, he, you are raised from the dead and you come to life. You come alive. You come into relationship with Him. The voice of God demands a response. Why? Because He's a life-giving Spirit. Because He's the Creator. Because when He speaks, everything moves. The universe, scientists say, is still actually expanding. The same way that God said, let all the vegetation come forth. And I'm paraphrasing. And guess what? It's still reproducing. And there's still vegetation. Because it, all it took is one word from God to set it in motion. One word from God... Breathing into Adam, a spirit caused all the way from Adam, the Bible says, the spirit of God, through the spirit of man, God has created life. And look, there's six billion plus people on the planet now. All it took was one word from God. One seed to set it in motion. And, and, And this is what the call, the call of God brings you into an encounter with God. The other thing here is it, it, it brings you into identity. I'm going to read something in John chapter 3 in just a moment. Uh, when, when we take heed to the call of intimacy, something is infused and spirit breathed into our identity. Jesus said, John 6, 63, my words are spirit, my words are life. And so there's something that happens when we hear His voice and we hear the call of God on our life. It doesn't just show us some amazing thing that He has created us to do, which everyone has, I mean, beyond your wildest dreams. God has plans for our life, but we have to understand the call is not this pinnacle, this, oh, I want to understand what my call is. A lot of times our search for that is we're actually just searching for some kind of significance, and and it's not about the call, it's about the person. And when you encounter the person, the call is, it's, it's so easy to say, yes, you can't help it. It's demanded a response and your identity changes. Who you are changes. He calls you by name. You know, it's interesting to me that in, in the New Testament, God is doing mainly two things. He's building his house and he's advancing his kingdom. How do we believe that? 
The house is the church. And the church and the kingdom are not the same thing. And he's advancing the kingdom. And he uses the church to advance the kingdom. The church is a place to meet with God. We are a people of God. We gather. We become an assembly. We're baptized in the manifest presence. We, as the church, our primary purpose is to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Out of that comes equipping the saints, evangelism, advancing the kingdom. So he's building a house. He's advancing a kingdom. He told that. He gave that promise to Solomon. I will build a house and I will will also advance a kingdom. Now, there's these two types in the Old Testament, David and Solomon. One was about the house. How many know David, the worshiper? That was his identity. That's who he was. He loved the presence of God. He loved him. He loved the house of God. As a matter of fact, he broke the rules. And for 33 years, he set up a tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant in it. And he raised up all these psalmists and all these musicians to come and just enjoy the presence of God and worship day and night and night and day. Incredible. And then Solomon, this wise king that wasn't so wise because he had a lot of wives. But that's another story. What was he thinking? Lord, have mercy. One is hard enough. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> we have a wonderful marriage, I swear. I wasn't being transparent right there. <laughs> I love you, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> this wise king that under his kingship, I mean, the kingdom, he was so wealthy. There was just this wealth. Now, I want you to get this is so powerful. Are you ready? The only two individuals in the Old Testament ever called an actual son of God is David and Solomon. Because as believers, as we understand our identity, that we're going to build God's house and we're going to advance his kingdom. We're going to gather with saints. We're going to be a part of the apostolic commission. We're going to be a part of this wineskin that he has raised up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And and this this is just part of the deal. God made it this way. And we grow. We're a family. And we're also going to advance his kingdom. Whatever realm of society your influence is in, you're going to advance the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're a son. Because you're a daughter. So in the call comes encounter. Say encounter. And in the call comes identity. Say identity. So you see this amazing parallel in the Old Testament. And I just got this revelation recently. But the only... Now God called His Israel like His, his son. Like the, the nation of Israel. But He never called an individual son except for David and Solomon. I can't find it anywhere in the Old Testament. At first, I thought it was only Solomon, but he actually calls David's son in a psalm two different times. So David's a son and Solomon's a son. And out of that identity of who they are, see, listen, your calling is something you were born to do. Or let me say it this way, something you're born again to do. Because when you're born again, you have a new identity. Now, John chapter 3. I know you're, some of you are thinking, when is he going to read John 3? Is he going to read the Bible? I quoted a lot of scripture. Leave me alone. Ready? John chapter 3. This is so powerful. Your heart affects your vision. If you want to see what you're called to do, open your heart and get to know God. And hear the call into relationship. I heard somebody say one time, don't seek destiny for destiny itself. Just seek Jesus and destiny will unfold. If, if you want to know your call, don't seek 
after the call. Seek after the one who's called you. John chapter 3. We know the story where Jesus comes and he's talking to this at night, uh, this, this ruler named Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. And, uh, and he asks in verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And look what Jesus says. We, we miss this, but I want, I'm going to give it to you now. You ready? Sometimes we read right past these things that are so profound. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless something happens on the inside of you, you won't even be able to see what the kingdom looks like. So when I'm born again, when I know I'm born from above, when I know I'm a son, I can see clearly the kingdom and I know what I'm called to do. Now look, jump down again. Now he says in verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot see unless God does a work in your heart and you cannot enter unless you see. It's really quiet, so I guess it's a really good word and everyone's saying amen from the inside. Amen. They're thinking to them. Is everyone thinking amen right now? I hope so. The call leads you into an encounter where you see clear. And it brings you into your identity. But there's something about this this connection. God, in order for me to see, something happens on the inside. Years ago, um, lastly, I want to talk about the, the last thing here. We have in the call, we have an encounter, and then something happens with our identity, and then, and then lastly is there's a response. We respond to God. Years ago, I was at a conference, um, and I had had some pretty, you know, incredible moments with God since I'd been a believer. I, I was saved at the age of 17. And I uh, wasn't really raised in the church. I was raised Catholic, and we went. We were Keister Christians, uh, which means we went on Christmas and Easter. That was our Christmas and Easter. We went to church. That was it, Keister Christians. So sitting on their Keister, too. So I, I had, some, had some significant encounters with God. Um, 17 years old, I got filled with the Spirit, dramatic things. So I'm at this conference, and this guy's preaching. His name's Peter Youngren. He's like an evangelist guy and tons of miracles. I mean, he's incredible. He's a grace teacher. The way he teaches on identity is just very, very powerful. And he's preaching on Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I maybe heard a couple messages on Isaiah chapter 6. Just real quick, Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah has this encounter with God and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and something happens dramatically in his life. And so he's preaching Isaiah 6, and, and he gives an altar call. It was a good message. I don't remember everything that he said, but I do remember when I went up, and I went up and prayed at the altar with all these people. There's probably 150 people just at the altar. The room is full of maybe over 1,000 people. And I go up to the front, and I felt like 
it was the beginning of a discovery of the call of God in my life. Let, let me explain this. It wasn't me up there worshiping and praying, and all of a sudden I see myself ministering to a church or I see myself preaching. But it was more about this significant revelation of who God was, and that branded my heart, and it shaped something in me. Isaiah 6 became my one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it was about Isaiah's encounter with Jesus. Because no one has seen God. We know that you know Jesus appears all throughout Yahweh, all throughout the Old Testament. And so Isaiah sees a pre-incarnate Christ. He sees Yahweh. He sees the Lord. Yahweh. He sees Jesus. And so I'm at the altar praying, and God... It was like I'm hearing this story about these angels taking coal from the golden altar and touching Isaiah's lips because Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, I am undone. And so the angel comes and touches in the story in Isaiah 6, coal on Isaiah's lips. I felt like I'm at the altar and an angel comes, a fiery angel comes and he brands my heart with a call. But the call was not Some wonderful thing that God created me to do in the earth. It was more about me saying, here I am, send me. But it was more about me saying, God, I'm called to encounter you. And if knowing you is all there is, that's more than enough. See, in that moment, the call to intimacy was more than enough for me. And it created this snowball effect where I would have these encounters with God and His holiness, which was not necessarily this fear of trembling. It was a reverence. It's always a reverence. Worship without reverence, it could be polluted by something else. I'm not afraid of God, but I reverence God because He's amazing. But His holiness is His beauty. So when I discover who God is, it brands the core of my being. And and something happens on the inside where I'm like, God, I get to know you. So out of this encounter comes this this response deep in my heart. I don't want to just know my call for the sake of wonderful things that I might do for God, but I want to know for the sake of the voice and the individual who's actually calling me because I'm called into intimacy. There's a calling on everyone's life. And as as you say yes to that call, you encounter God. And when you encounter God, something happens in your identity. Even if you're born again, there's more of a change that takes place in your heart because of the encounter of God's love. And then there's a response that comes from you. See, your call is linked to who you are. You were born to do something. Your call is not just this this outside thing outside of you. It's part of who you are and part of who God made you to be. Are you getting this this morning? So when we get into the seven things, I wanted to lay this foundation and talk about this because when we start talking about these seven things in, in kind of a particular order, the last one is usually the first one on our list. And, and you'll see as we get into it further. But I want to I undo some of that because we have exalted the call. Like I'm called by God. Everyone's called to be a minister and a witness. Isaiah or uh, Acts 26.16. We're all called, but we're called to know Him. Amen. Okay, so we want to take a few questions. Did anyone text in? 
No questions. Well, now you can text questions in quickly. You have a couple moments before I dismiss you. Any questions? You sure there's none? Test. Okay, let me answer that question. What are tests? I'm just kidding. You feel like you're being tested this morning. Okay. All right. So if she doesn't get any here in the next couple minutes, then we'll just close it out. Amen. Yeah. Did anyone text a question? Raise your hand if you did. When? Oh, really? Okay. What is your question? It means to love like Jesus loves, which is the commandment in the New Testament. The one commandment, the law of Christ is love. To fulfill the law of Christ means to love people like Jesus loves them, which is more than loving your neighbor as yourself, by the way. Love that is willing to completely sacrifice. That's, by the way, that's the the meaning of covenant. And when we become, when we're in Christ, we become who he is to people that we are willing to shed our own blood before somebody else's. So there's this, uh, this commandment that Jesus has given us to love the same way that he loves people. And, uh, and that, that, that is what laying our lives down is laying our lives down. Being will, I, we said this recently that if we are not willing to sacrifice or we're not willing to suffer for somebody else, then love is just an idea to us. So the reality of what love really is, is this active, sacrificial, I mean, the, the, the ultimate display of love we have is Calvary, is the cross, Jesus, the, the event that cracked time in half, that he willingly gave his life to ransom the planet. Amen. Does that help? All right. Any other questions? Did, it, did you get any texts? It's broke. Man, throw that iPad away. What does it mean to die to yourself? Good question. Is that a true question? No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, this is a good question because I think it depends on our background and what we've been taught. But when we say that as Christians, like I need to die to myself, we have to be careful that we're not dying to our new identity. It's one thing to die to selfishness. It's another to die to who you are. And if you're born again, you're not supposed to die to who you are. See, the Bible says it this way, that you have put off the old self and put on the new self. Now, when Jesus said, deny yourself and follow me daily, he was speaking in context of the cross, saying, you're going to have to be identified with me in the cross. That was technically an Old Testament because the new covenant had not been sealed yet. That was, that was pre-cross. There's nothing in the New Testament, in the, the writings of Paul, after, because not everything in the New Testament is New Covenant. You, you get that? You understand that? Okay, not every... It, it, the New Testament doesn't begin in Matthew chapter 1. It begins when Jesus shed His blood. Everything changed. Even the way, you know, some of the things that Jesus taught was from a New Covenant paradigm revealing the heart of the Father... But some of it was also like, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. He was actually telling the, the, the people, the Pharisees have been teaching it wrong. This is really what the law is about. So everything that we read in the New Testament is not all New Covenant. We have to take it through the paradigm of Calvary. Amen. 
So I don't see anything after the new covenant was actually established where, where we're supposed to die to ourselves. We have to die to parts that are not right. Anger, you know, the Bible says put to death the members. But it doesn't say, like, for example, well, didn't Paul say I die daily? He did, but he wasn't talking about the way everyone always says it. He was talking about persecution that he suffers on a daily basis. I die a death. Like he faces death all the time. Shipwrecked. Everyone knows, you know, what he went through. The Apostle Paul was stoned. I mean, you know, um, and I'm not talking about smoking marahuchi. I'm talking about literally big rocks thrown at him. All the religious people didn't laugh. It's okay. I love you. So dying to self technically is not a, a good way to put it. I, I would put it this way. Um, come alive to who you are in Christ. That's why you're a living sacrifice, not a dead one. Now, some of you, some of you are thinking, I've, I, I've never heard this before. Um, some of you are thinking like, but I have, to, I have to crucify my flesh. That's an Old Testament paradigm is... Once you are new in Christ, you have a new nature. God is not trying to kill you. The old man is already dead. He's trying to get you to walk in newness of life. And when you understand your identity, you're not trying to die to who you are because God loves who you are. And he wants dreams to come alive. He wants desire. You know, here's a good example. Jesus said, ask whatever you desire and I'll give it to you that your joy may be full. But we're trying to crucify our desires. Makes no sense. So there are things that we should die to, but our self and who we are is not one of them if we are a born-again believer. If we're not a born-again believer, then we need to identify with Jesus and surrender. And when we surrender, we're crucified with him. This is what Paul said in Romans. You read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, and it will help give you an understanding of all this. And even when Paul talks about in Romans 7, that, what I want to do, I don't do, he's giving a, uh, this is what it's like under the law. Not for a New Testament Christian. you got to keep reading. We quote these one verses out of context, like, I die daily. It is, it's just not, it's not a New Testament paradigm. We're supposed to live unto God. Newness of life. Paul said it this way, consider the old man dead so that you can learn to walk in newness of life. Is everyone getting this? So you have a new nature. So there's good desires now that come out of your born-again nature. And there's still stuff that is probably not good desires. Your body can still have bad cravings. Your, your emotional area of your being can, you know, uh, still get angry. Because maybe there's unforgiveness in our heart. But we have a new heart now that God can mold. The Bible says Ezekiel 36, 26, He'll give us a heart of flesh now, one that He can mold. We have a new spirit within us. And God now causes us grace pushes us into destiny. Grace pulls us into Christ, which causes us to walk into our new identity. Our desires change. Good desires fade, uh, or bad desires fade. Good desires grow in Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? And I think that's enough. That was two questions, but I answered very long. So I'm sorry if you have another one. Was there another one? Oh, there's actually a text now, so we better read it, and then I'll let you go. Read me one. Okay, Um, I'm going to do this other one. How does someone who has never found God find him? 
Just look for him, I guess. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think if somebody is is seeking, they're, they're God. See, God is is seeking after us way more than we're seeking Him. Even the concept of seeking God. See, as soon as somebody's heart is open and saying, "God," I mean, you, you know, people seek God, um, and unfortunately, sometimes they will, you know just become religious or, you know, even false religions, Buddhist or whatever. But eventually they're going to find the light. They're going to find Jesus because he's seeking after them. Amen. So I think that, I mean, it's a good question, but I would say that if someone's heart is open to, to the maker, they're going to find them because God is pursuing them more than they are pursuing God. And so that's a part of our destiny too. Like we can bring someone, our number one job should be to bring someone to encounter God's love. However that looks like. It could be feeding the, feeding the hungry. It could be giving to the poor. It could be clothing the naked. It could be uh, releasing the kingdom over someone, like releasing healing, releasing deliverance to somebody. It could be like something simple, like I have nightmares and I don't sleep. Well, let me, let me pray for you. And they get set free. You're releasing the kingdom of God as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So as the people of God, people are going to find him when we release the kingdom over, him, over them. And something happens on the inside, then they see. And then they, they, they hear this call into this relationship. Does that answer your question? Does that help? I think if somebody's heart's open, they're going to find him. Um, and uh, e- even in, in countries where they don't have Bibles, they're going to find God. They're, they're going, I mean, God is pouring out His Spirit right now on all flesh. We don't need to pray that prayer. It's already happening. We just need to yield to it. God's already pouring out His Spirit. Grace is flowing from heaven. And it, He's causing things to work according to the counsel of His will. And, and when vessels yield, then... That, then we become an outflow of that. And we can bring people into relationship. But people that don't know God, uh, that, that if they are seeking and they open their hearts, they're going to find God. Amen? All right. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Would you do me a favor? And just, I want to ask you to close your eyes right now. And I just pray, Father, I pray right now for just a, a burning in your people's hearts. Some of them are maybe thinking, what have you called me to do? I pray that this awakening and this simple understanding that first, Lord, the call is this call into an encounter with God that shapes who we are and that causes us to respond. And out of who we are, out of what we were born to do or born again to do, out of our identity comes this call and this outworking of destiny. But I don't seek the call or I don't seek destiny. I seek Jesus and let destiny come forth. I pray this peace and this understanding and this revelation would come to your people now in the mighty name of Jesus. That there would be an infusion with your spirit-breathed word into their hearts that would cause them to say yes and that would cause them to walk out this call, this unfolding call. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to know God, 
If you want to surrender your life to him, if you want, if you need prayer for anything at all, um, we want to have our, if, can we have our prayer team and our Sozo team just come right over here to my right and just come up and go ahead and put on some worship, guys. And, and we're going to dismiss you. But if, if as we linger in between services, anyone that needs prayer, we are available. We want to minister to you. So any of our prayer team, any of our staff that want to come pray, just come. We're going to face the people and, uh, and we want to minister to you. So God bless you. Um, don't forget next week and the week after, we are going to go through some practical steps of how to understand what we are called to do. So please come for that.